Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 102. So we developed the 2X criteria, investment criteria as the global framework, and there are five criteria. So we look at entrepreneurship, which means looking at businesses that are founded and owned by women. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. We're about to kick off our session. Thank you for coming. Prior to the pandemic, studies showed that businesses which trade internationally are more productive than their domestically focused competitors. However, the playing field for women in international trade was already unequal prior to the crisis as women-owned or women-led businesses were less likely to operate across borders than those owned by men. Women led approximately one-third of MESMEs in emerging markets, but remained disproportionately underserved. They often face less favorable terms for financing and have limited access to essential resources and skills needed to build, sustain, and grow their businesses. As a result, they often face higher costs to overcome trade and access international markets. This is what we are discussing today. Widened economic inequality due to the pandemic and disruptions in global economies underscore the importance of increasing access to financing to empowering women MESMEs. This includes a wider scope than just access through credit products, as there's a significant need to explore innovative financial products and services beyond credit. My name is Noreen Barros-Chasario, and I am the president of OHUK, co-host of today's working session with 2X Collaborative, a global industry for gender lens investing, convening the entire spectrum of capital providers. OIT is the Organization of Women in International Trade, a global business membership organization for women and men working in all facets of trade and business, and is designed to promote the advancement of women in trade and business. The UK chapter is still very young, having been established during the pandemic. Our main focus as a chapter is on capacity building for women trading across borders, trade finance, and digital. Joining me today to discuss leveraging technology to enable inclusive finance for women-led SMEs is a panel of experts and leaders in this field. Annabel Gonzalez, the PT Director General at the World Trade Organization, will be giving us the opening remarks. We have Jessica Espinoza, CEO of 2X Collaborative, Jennifer Buckley, CEO of SWIF, Susan Barton of the UK Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, working on inclusive trade strategy and trade diplomacy, Ines Murray, CEO of the Financial Alliance for Women, who unfortunately at the very last minute could not be with us today, but we do have her interventions. And our moderator, Deepesh Patel, Editor-in-Chief at Trade Finance Global. We are also joined by high-level respondents, Dr. Amrita Bari, Assistant Professional International Trade Law, ITEM and Co-Chair Professor at the WTO, Nadia Hashem, Trade Policy Expert, and UNECA, Maran Wersman, Director of Partnerships and Innovations at 2X Collaborative, Fiorina Mugione, Regional Director ACP at GDSI, and Kevin Shakespeare, Director Strategic Projects and International Development at the UK Institute of Exports and International Trade. I also have with me VPs from the OIT International UK chapter, and there's Nicole Peter Patterson, who is the VP for International Trade, who was leading the tech team. We have Gushinda Sidhu, who is the VP for Trade Finance, and Gupri core who's also here with us today. And I would like to give a mention to our supporting team, Monali Gibbs and Farida Kadiri, who you can see taking pictures. It is now my honor and pleasure to introduce the Deputy Director General to make her opening remarks before then passing over to Deepesh to lead the session. Good afternoon. It is my pleasure to open this session on the role that technology can play in bridging the financing gap 
facing women-owned small businesses. Small businesses, or MSMEs, as we like to call them here at the WTO, are the backbone of our economies and livelihoods. They represent over 90% of all enterprises and about 70% of all jobs in many countries, according to the ILO. Some 40% of MSMEs worldwide are women-owned. Women-owned MSMEs play a critical role in economic life by sustaining families, creating income-generating opportunities in rural and urban areas, and supplying the goods and services we use in our daily lives. They're important job creators, especially for other women. COVID-19 hit women-owned small businesses particularly hard. In a study carried out by our affiliate organization, the International Trade Center, 64% of women-led firms secured their business operations as strongly affected by the pandemic, compared with 52% of men-led companies. Access to finance is critically important, not just for the recovery of women-owned businesses from the impacts of the pandemic, but also to ensure that they can prosper in a world of increased risks from geopolitical tensions and war, threats to food and energy security, climate change, supply chain disruptions, and more. But access to finance has long been one of the biggest hurdles affecting women entrepreneurs. The World Bank's latest Global Pindex report reveals that more than 1 billion women still do not use or have access to the financial system, a striking figure which reflects the significant financial hurdles facing businesswomen around the world. Estimates of the financing gap affecting women-owned businesses vary widely, ranging from $300 billion to $1.7 trillion. But one thing is certain. The financing gap affecting women-owned MSMEs is large and reflects the harsh reality that so many women-owned small businesses around the world, around 70% of them by some estimates, have inadequate or no access to financial services. Today's panel puts a focus on the role of digital technologies to address these problems and help women-owned small businesses around the world overcome obstacles to access much-needed finance. This topic is receiving growing attention including from a recent report co-authored by our moderator for today's event, Deepesh Patel, and my WTO colleague, Emmanuel Gann. And that is welcome, because digital technologies have enormous potential to make a difference, from cloud computing to application programming interfaces to big data analytics, new technologies are transforming MSME's financing and are already contributing to increase women's access to financial services in many parts of the world. But technology is not a silver bullet. It is a tool. By itself, it is not sufficient to tackle the severe financing challenges facing women-owned MSMEs. To unleash its full potential, we need to look beyond the technologies themselves and work to develop an ecosystem that promotes greater efficiency, innovation, and inclusiveness in digital financial services. This is not an easy task. It requires a wide range of stakeholders to work alongside each other on a wide range of issues. This includes developing secure and robust digital identity systems and digital ID credentials, improving the availability and accuracy of data on access to and use of financial services, enhancing financial business and digital literacy, bolstering financial consumer and data protection measures, and strengthening the digital financial services infrastructure, among many other urgent tasks. Trade policy and the WTO have very important roles to play here, not least in the promotion of a competitive and innovative environment that enables wider access by women-owned MSMEs to digital financial services. Given this important role of trade, it is very encouraging to see the progress that WTO members are making in many areas relevant to our discussion today. For example, last year, a large group of WTO members 
representing over 90% of global services trade, reached a landmark agreement on services domestic regulation. By cutting red tape and fostering transparency, the agreement will make it easier and less costly for service providers, including in financial services, to trade, thereby increasing the availability and affordability of digital financial products. At the same time, Nearly 90 WTO members are negotiating a set of global rules on digital trade that will facilitate remote transactions and strengthen trust in digital markets while also reducing digital trade barriers. Meanwhile, large groups of WTO members are pursuing important work in the context of the WTO Informal Working Group on MISMIS and on trade and gender. The MSME group, for example, has considered the issue of access to finance specifically. Annex 6 of the package of recommendations and decisions adopted by the group in December 2020 provides action lines that countries can take to facilitate to finance for small business owners, including women entrepreneurs. Aid for Trade, which we now call Invest for Trade, is another powerful tool that WTO members have at their disposal to strengthen the capacity of women to trade, including by making it easier for them to obtain finance. The successful global review of aid for trade held last July at the WTO confirmed that women's economic empowerment continues to be high on the agenda of both donors and their partners. This creates exciting new opportunities to expand the use of digital technologies to enhance access to finance by women-owned MSMEs. Though we have made much progress, there's much more that we can and must do. Today's panel is a great chance to deepen our understanding about how the private sector, financial institutions, political leaders, regulators, technology experts, and international organizations can work together to bring about change. In a moment, you will be hearing from an exciting group of experts. I am sure that their experiences, insights, and perspectives will prove immensely valuable to those of us at the WTO who seek to build a global trading system that is more inclusive and helps more women-owned small businesses succeed in the 21st century. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, congratulations on, uh, on organizing such a fantastic panel. Thank you. My name is Dipash Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global and host of the podcast Trade Finance Talks. Thank you very much for allowing us to be here today to present this really important issue. And gosh, it's good to be back. I think I was sat in that seat there in 2019. So really good to be back at the WTO Public Forum. Now, trade finance is in desperate need of an update. It was built to serve the world that existed hundreds of years ago, not the world that we live in today. Yes, we've heard that the industry could benefit from a digital revolution, but it's long also overdue a social one. Earlier this year, Trade Finance Global launched our Women in Trade campaign in partnership with OIT. We learned that while there are plenty of incredible women working in the trade and trade finance space, with more entering the industry every day, it remains a male-dominated Field. This skewed representation, however, does not stop at the edges of the industry. It steeps beyond into the adjacent sectors that rely on the critical services and capital that trade finance provides. Women lead approximately one-third of the MSMEs in emerging markets, yet financial institutions reject their trade finance applications disproportionately more. It's time for this to change. The international nature of trade connotates variety, dynamism, and progress. 
traits that can only be fully realized in a diverse environment, and gender equality is a crucial ingredient. In her remarks, Annabel Gonzalez mentioned the joint WTO-TFG research paper on how digitalization can help accelerate access for finance for, for MSMEs. In today's session, the panelists will build on this notion of technological progress and examine how it can be applied to promote much-needed gender inclusion in trade finance. We have an opportunity to level the playing field and make it just as easy for female small business owners to acquire funding as it has been for her male counterparts. Let's learn how. So I'd like to welcome to the panel Jessica Espinoza, Jennifer Buckley, and Susan Barton. And I'd like you all to give a very quick elevator pitch. So in no more than six seconds, who are you, where are you from, and what do you do? Jessica. Thank you so much, Deepesh. So Jessica Espinoza, CEO of the 2X Collaborative, which is a global industry body for gender lens investing that's convening the whole spectrum of capital providers and investors globally around gender finance and gender lens investing. And it's building on the 2X Challenge, which is our flagship initiative that has to date mobilized more than $11 billion of, of gender lens investments in less than three years. And we're at the last G7 Summit announced our new target of 15 billion that we want to achieve with our members in two years. So really focusing on shifting capital, but also importantly, building investor capacity to make that happen. Jennifer, over to you. Hi, I'm Jennifer Beckley, based in Singapore, a founder and managing director of Swift Capital. Swift Capital is a private equity firm focused on investing in businesses supporting women. Within that context, we invest a lot in sectors such as food-related businesses, healthcare, education, and businesses focused on climate resiliency, particularly in Vietnam, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Thanks, Jennifer. And we'll be going on uh, talking about that in a lot more detail later on. And Susan, over to you. Thank you. My name is Susan Barton. I'm in the UK government's Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office uh, based in London. Um, and obviously very interested in this topic from two perspectives. The first perspective is the trade for development perspective. And the UK is a donor um, and we are interested in funding and supporting the use of technology to support um, inclusion and resilience by women-owned SMEs. Um, but I'm also interested in this subject from the perspective of how we as a country and a government can use our trade policy to support a levelling up agenda and to support greater gender equity domestically as well as through our development funding. Thank you very much. All. So let's start with setting the scene. And, and Jessica, many people still have a very limited perception of gender lens investing, looking only at investing in women-owned businesses or at the gender balance on teams. Can, can you give us an overview? What is gender lens investing and, and how does the 2X Collaborative ensure that gender lens investors contribute to the importance of looking at gender across the value chain and across supply chains? So when we launched the 2X Challenge, it was really important for us to, on the one hand, involve the whole global industry, defining what gender lens investing means, make sure that we have the same definitions, harmonized indicators, and are moving into the same direction. And also that we look at the whole value chain. So we developed the 2X criteria, investment criteria, as the global framework. And there are five criteria. So we look at entrepreneurship, which means looking at businesses that are founded and owned by women. 
then leadership. So looking at representation and leadership of those businesses. So even if it's a business that's perhaps founded by a man, um, increasing representation in leadership and senior management on the board of directors. And if it applies in the case of financial intermediaries, also the investment committee. Then the third criterion looks at employment. And there we have a quantitative indicator. So looking at the share of women in employment and in different types of jobs, but also importantly, at the quality of employment. So we also have a mandatory qualitative factor, which looks at workplace policies and practices that advance women's career advancement. And Jennifer has done a lot of very practical work on on what that looks like in practice. So employment also very important. Then the fourth criterion looks at products and services that are designed with a gender lens, so that take female customers' needs into account and have that intentional lens and that benefit female customers disproportionately. And then the fifth criterion looks at when we invest in financial intermediaries, so in financial institutions or funds, that we look at these four criteria at the level of that institution, but also at that institution's portfolio. So it's really looking at where's the capital ultimately moving and flowing. So you can see that it's really looking at the whole value chain. It's uh, looking at the supply chain, at the end customers, really uh, very holistically. And depending on where you are, and we see that among our diverse membership, there's an opportunity for everybody and everybody may have a different starting point. So if you're investing in agribusiness or in infrastructure or in the private equity space versus the SME lending space, you may use a different entry point, but ultimately there are tremendous opportunities for positive action and change at all of these levels and across all the criteria. Thank you very much. Re- really good overview there. Um, just, to, just to summarize, entrepreneurship, leadership, employment, products and services, and, and really that investment piece. Inez, who, who wasn't able to come to the session today, she's managed to record a, a short clip for us. So she's going to talk about some of the work that she's doing at the Financial Alliance for Women. So uh, if I can ask you to play that video. Thank you and greetings from Dublin, where I'm currently in isolation due to a COVID infection. And sorry, I couldn't be there in person today. The Financial Alliance for Women is an international trade association made up of 88 members, all of whom are financial services providers, mainly banks and fintechs. Our membership is global and all serve the women's market with access to finance, information, business and financial education, access to networks and also recognition because women as economic agents are often still invisible. Our members serve all segments of the women's market, but the common segment across all members is women business owners, WSMEs. Our diversification into bringing fintechs into the membership in the past couple of years prompted us to research current levels of attention paid by fintechs to the female economy. What we found can be summarized as the following. Fintechs are largely unaware that there is a women's market, and when they calculate total addressable market, or TAM, a key metric that investors look at, they do not disaggregate their data by sex. However, of the fintechs that do disaggregate their data by sex, we see that key performance metrics are favorable to women. The cost of customer acquisition is similar for women than men, not radically higher, as is the common perception that men are the first adopters of technology. However, work needs to be done to cultivate women customers up front to build their trust, build a community, and we share how to do that. Once acquired, the lifetime value of women customers is similar or higher for men because women are sticky customers and as chief purchasing officers of their households, they buy financial services that provide solutions to different life moments that their entire household faces. We have two excellent pieces of research on that. 
if you key in fintechs and female economy into the library section of our website, Financial Alliance for Women, you will find them. Due to the lack of awareness within the fintech community that there is a women's market and that it is profitable, we launched an annual hackathon in 2020 and have run it each year, including this year. Through this, we have identified an incredible group of fintechs, all of whom are offering solutions for key challenges facing women in access and use of financial services. In 2020, TimeBank and Neobank in South Africa won the hackathon for their tie-in with an e-commerce solution on social platform that enables all women SMEs what they all want, which is to increase their market. In 2021, Lakshmi, an investment platform in India, was the winner for their solution to mass market women in India, where a shocking 49% of women are not investing at all. And of those that are, just 15% are using formal financial instruments. What both of these fintechs have in common is a deep understanding of the market a focus on the onboarding of women through the combination of technology and touch, a process to onboard that is simple and efficient, a financial product offer that meets the life moment needs with financial and business education embedded. And of course, they are tracking sector aggregated data through the sales funnel so that each can become smarter over time about how to attract and retain women customers. This year's hackathon, the applications for which just closed last week, had a challenge on fintech supporting access to trade for WSMEs, a challenge put on by IFC, one of the hackathon sponsors. These hackathons are encouraging business model development and what we call use cases, as well as integrating innovative teams from large banks such as HSBC and Citi so that they too can start demanding that fintech design for the female economy and help them support women business owners. In addition to our research and our hackathons, the Alliance hosts Fintech Fridays, bringing together fintechs, incumbents, and investors to share and to network. And fintech members have access to all our peer learning services, including training and peer mentoring as well. The key here is to create the awareness amongst the fintechs and the investors, catalyze through hackathons and incubators, ensure there's early stage investments, angel, pre-seed, and seed funding, Encourage investors of all stripes to simply ask the right questions. What is the percent of your leadership team that is female? And what is the percent of your customer base that is female at each stage of the sales funnel and why? And to encourage more partnerships between fintechs and incumbents so that scale can be reached. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. We greatly appreciate it. For more information, please go to our website and contact me. Thank you. Thank you very much, um, Inez, and also Jessica. I think I'd just summarize a few of the key themes, the real need to improve financial literacy amongst females, also thinking about designing products and services with a gender lens. And also, if you're able to disaggregate data by gender, it really does show a, a business rationale for acting on this. I'd like to open up to the floor for any questions, thoughts and responses. So if anyone has any thoughts or questions, now's your opportunity. Hi, Julie Bremner from the UK government. I'm just interested to know to be such a gap around, you know, the statistics that you've presented there. I'd just like to know a little bit more why, really. I'd like to hear from the panel why that is. Is it to do with uh, the risk analysis? So I'd be interested in hearing more about why. Thank you. Okay, so I do think that we have a data gap. Women-led businesses face both gender-specific and gender-intensified barriers. The biggest challenge that they face is, is in the access to the finance. They need to start businesses. We know that investing with a gender lens can unlock barriers for women's ex- access to finance and jobs. 
Jennifer, would you like to start with the data piece and then uh, I can take over on the allocating capital piece? Sure. From the data perspective, I think the reality at the moment is that there's not enough data available in the global system in a consistent way that can be analyzed. And in that area, from the SWIFT capital perspective, we've been working on a methodology that's called the gender ROI that actually allows you to look at a business from a diversity perspective across 24 different metrics. The idea of collecting that level of metrics in a holistic way from SMEs would then allow a global database to be built that would actually then allow more research to be done. Part of the reason for the gap as far as capital provision is that from the capital provider perspective, there's questions around different models that are out there and the ability for them to drive the types of returns that they're looking for in their respective portfolios. I just wanted to add to that, while the question of data is incredibly important and we need that global repository that, that Jennifer and, and her initiative are working on, so know that we need that data. I just also want to throw into the mix that we often see the lack of data or presumably lack of research as an excuse to not move capital. And we do see incredible innovative solutions. They are often led by women who are raising funds or innovative investment vehicles or who are themselves launching a fintech or unconventional financial institution that has different types of capital that's really tailored to women-owned and led MSMEs in a specific market and also in local context and that are not getting the kind of funding that's available in the market. So we see the available funding, whether it's from government or from commercial investors that are trying to reach MSMEs through financial intermediaries. We see that capital for years, if not decades, going to the same players. It's a small group. It's typically institutions that were built and designed by men with a very different risk model, a different understanding of what a proper entrepreneur is, quote unquote. And so we also need to diversify the space of who's making these decisions about how capital is allocated and how product are designed. And that's something that's really core to uh, what we want to achieve at the Twix Collaborative, but also what fund managers like Jennifer, for example, are really spearheading and pioneering and showing how to do it and how to close those gaps. Thank you very much, Jessica. And it's interesting because I was about to raise the same problem. I'd like to remark that in all loan applications I think I've made personally and commercially, I'm pretty sure I've had to put in my gender. So the fact that there's lack of data is very interesting. Let's move on to the next session and talking talking about the fintech's role um, here. Jennifer, sweet Capital's diversity-driven investment strategy targets opportunities where diversity and gender equality factors can build value in the companies in your portfolio with a range of companies in sustainable food systems, in the health sector, and in climate response and the new green economy. How can fintech enable equity investment at scale for growth stage businesses in this sector? Thanks, Peter. From the perspective, and it's picking up on the point that Jessica's making, we're very excited in our region on the range and quality of businesses that are being developed by women entrepreneurs and those involved in trade. And so the fact that these type of entrepreneurs aren't getting backed is what we all need to make a difference to at the moment. What's important about those entrepreneurs is it's often those entrepreneurs that are developing the solutions to the issues that they're facing in their countries from within their families, within their communities, and they're seeing the gaps from a market perspective and around, you know, choices that they want to make and their peers want to make, and they're trying to close those gaps. 
We see framing tech as an enabler. From that perspective, the capacity to provide the platforms and access to break down these barriers, both for the investors to participate and for the capital to reach more of these entrepreneurs is important. And the context of equity, that's only part of the equation, though. The women leaders we work with are very values-driven, often, and sophisticated in how they think about the providers of capital that they want to work with. And so that's selective about choosing partners. And they want partners that are sharing their values and actually they feel care about them as clients. When we think about financial solutions or innovative solutions in this area, we also need to think about who's leading that initiative and how they think about the importance of those clients that they're serving. We see terrific opportunities to teach solutions that will accelerate processes and systems in these enterprises. That helps those businesses develop over time from startup through the early stage through to mid-size. We're working at the growth level and we see from the perspective of our our role in the market. While we are often investing in businesses that are in a later stage of development, it's also important that we're there supporting the companies coming through to build the pipeline for the future and provide the feedback into the ecosystem so that groups that are supporting those clients really understand the needs of the clients and to feed that back into the market. And different things that we're seeing are making a difference to the entrepreneurs themselves and things that we have invested in would be around when we look at digital businesses, even something as simple as cloud-based accounting solutions and financing platforms and tech solutions, because of the gaps in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in that area, that these entrepreneurs don't have advisors around them and can support them in that area. And that may not be the background that they come from. They may know their industry extremely well, have lots of amazing ideas on gaps in their industry, where they can fulfill those gaps, growth ideas on how they can build their businesses. They haven't come through an education where they would be getting accounting training or tax training. And in that regard, it makes them slightly vulnerable because it's a gap in the foundational systems that they need from which to build their businesses and important when it comes for them to be able to go out and get financing. We also see that fintech is just democratizing traditional financial services. And I think many people in the room are aware of that and its ability to actually allow underbanked or unbanked populations to come into the market, to be able to open a bank account, to have access to savings products, payments gateways, fund transfers, and other forms of invoice discounting and other financing and credit insurance. Thank you very much. And I think your final point around you know, the fact that fintech is democratizing finance and access to finance for the underbanked is generally really, really good and, and actually supporting entrepreneurs. I think no matter what gender those yeah. entrepreneurs are, is really helping address the skills gap, the educational gap, and you know providing that financial literacy and technical assistance. And that's kind of helping grow the overall size of the pie, right? Correct. Susan, women-owned businesses, women-owned SMEs across the world have traditionally struggled to access finance. And I know the UK government is taking measures to address financial inclusion of women. And the UK uses its development assistance to support the financial inclusion of women. And it also helps deliver some of the sustainable development goals. Can you talk about the scale of the problem from a UK perspective and also what the UK is doing to address that? 
Yeah, so we know the global economy is confronted with the most daunting and complex set of uncertainties in decades. We're all aware of the overlapping crises at the moment. And the burden of these compounded shocks fall disproportionately on women, especially women in developing countries and where there are intersectionality issues and overlapping and interdependent systems of disadvantage. But women are also part of the solution. Studies have repeatedly demonstrated that women are key drivers to achieving economic prosperity and global stability. And we know that a diverse and inclusive business ecosystem is good for customers, entrepreneurs, businesses, investors and society and can help countries and families to be more resilient to shocks. So amongst the tools that governments and international organisations have at their disposal, investing in women-led businesses may prove to be one of the most effective in creating inclusive growth and resilience. And the evidence is in the data. It's estimated that gender parity in entrepreneurship could add five to six trillion in net value to the global economy. And we know there's a gender finance gap. And globally, the gender finance gap is estimated at $1.7 trillion, which facing 400 million women-owned businesses. Um, And an interesting UK statistic is that in the UK in 2017, less than 1% of all venture capital went to all women teams, whereas almost 90% went to all male teams. And it's a shocking statistic for a developed country. So we can only begin to imagine what that figure might be in less developed countries. So investing with a gender lens can unlock barriers for women's access to finance, jobs and goods and services. But one of the problems that we face with respect to to unlocking trade finance is the gender data gap. And there are commitments at the WTO, in the OECD, in the G20 and the G7 to collect gender disaggregated trade data. And the UK promotes deeper and more cross-cutting analysis on trade and gender equality in multilateral fora. And more widely, we recognise the need to continue to build our own evidence base in the UK and in all our developing country work on trade and gender equality and to use that data to accelerate financial inclusion for women. The UK supports She Trades Outlook, which is a tool run by the International Trade Centre based in Geneva, which covers a network of over 39 countries collecting data, sharing evidence and best practice on how to improve trade policy outcomes for women. It's supporting governments to create a more inclusive policy ecosystem and has led to influencing new policy development in developing and developed countries. And there is a pillar of She Trades Outlook which covers finance. And it looks at whether countries, either alone or in partnership with the private sector, have developed innovative solutions to promote financial inclusion for women, for example, by addressing the lack of physical collateral or verifiable cash flow requirements. The finance pillar on She Trade Outlooks includes gender budgeting consideration, data collection and fiscal schemes. The domestic level, we have a UK um, in investing in women code, which has led to over 130 UK financial institutions, including most of the banking sector, to start tracking and reporting MSME data on, on a sex disaggregated beta basis. Related data reporting analysis has created a real momentum in the UK towards closing the women-led MSME finance gap. During Indonesia's G20 presidency, we shared our experience in the UK of the impact of our Investing Women Code and have supported the World Bank's Women Finance 
Women Entrepreneurs Finance Initiative, which is abbreviated to Wi-Fi, to introduce the concept of Global Women Entrepreneurs Finance Code to be promoted and potentially taken up um, by G20 countries. And this finance code is a call to action to the financial sector across the world to participate in data-driven systematic efforts to address the finance gap facing women. It seeks to spur action by financial intermediaries, development finance providers, regulators, and standard setters bodies, industry associations, donors, and technical experts across the world. I'll leave it there because I think the experiences that Jennifer and Jessica bring in on this um, sort of show how the overarching enabling environment for, for service provision and um, how, how we set that and hopefully we're part of that ecosystem. Thank you, Susan. I think you've certainly set the scene with some quite shocking stats at a, at a global level, $1.7 trillion with dollars. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.